Chapter 4 The Kingdom Trial Barely conscious, our hero is carried into the courtroom by two guards. Watching from the audience, a little girl cries out with dismay when she sees our hero being drug over to his chair. Stay quiet, the mother of the girl commands. A tear runs down the girl's face. After wiping her nose, she reaches into her pocket to grab a little treat, which she then slips into a small bag she had brought with her. Her face then turns sour as the chancellor stands up from his chair and addresses the room. Members of the court, he says with a smirk, we now bring forth the defendant, Chrono, who is charged with abducting Princess Nadia. He waits as the audience boos and makes a scene. What shall we do with him? Fire, perhaps? Hang him upside down for a few years? Or shall we employ the guillotine? The audience screams with approval. From the back, some even begin to chant. Kill, kill, kill. You, the jury, shall decide his fate. Now, let's begin. Chrono, you are hereby ordered to tell the truth. Chrono is charged with premeditated abduction of royalty. The question is... Did he kidnap Princess Nadia? The answer? No, he did not. In fact, no abduction took place, just as I suspected. The defendant deliberately tried to get near the princess. The two met completely by accident. In fact, the princess asked Chrono if she could join him. The princess then innocently followed you to Luca's little sideshow. Objection. This can't have any relevance whatsoever to this case. This should be on the record. He's crying out for help. The issue here is motive. Was there any motive for this fine citizen to kidnap Princess Nadia? Do not feign ignorance. We have a witness. We have nothing to hide. As the trial proceeds, it's clear to the little girl that this is more of a theatrical performance than anything else. Meanwhile, our hero appears to have been heavily sedated. He's certainly not acting himself. And what about ransom? The Chancellor asks. Chrono, her fortune did tempt you, did it not? One of the guards shake Chrono awake. Of course it did, right? The Chancellor asks. Faded and distorted, our hero takes a moment to reply. Yes, he says before falling right back to sleep. Our little girl from the audience can't stand to watch this performance any longer. He saved my cat! She screams at the top of her lungs. The entire room goes silent as they stare at this girl holding a yellow cat above her head. As we may remember from before, Marley and Chrono had the time of their lives at the Millennial Fair. While we didn't go into every detail, one detail worth mentioning now is that this little girl had lost her cat. And Chrono, who knows a thing or two about cats, helped rescue and return the girl's beloved feline family member. Meanwhile, the said cat is right here in this courtroom, being held up high by this girl, and the room is silent. The cat jumps out of the girl's arms onto the banister, 
prances its way down to the floor over to our hero, jumps up to his face, and begins to lick him. It is a beautiful moment, one that has captured the hearts of everyone in the room. And then our hero opens his eyes. Thinking he is being attacked by another rat, he quickly flings the cat off of his face. Terrified and quivering, it jumps back to the little girl and hides itself inside the bag it came here in. In our rowdy peasant section, we hear someone yell out, Kill that monster or we'll kill you! Members of the jury, if he is guilty, stand to the left. If innocent, stand to the right. Kill, 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 the crowd chants. Order in the court the judge yells. A verdict has been reached. The verdict is guilty. The sentence? Solitary confinement for three days, pending execution by guillotine. Take him away. Our hero, still barely conscious for any of this, is tossed back into his jail cell. After a few hours, he wakes up to find a small bag lying by his head. Some sympathizer brought that stuff for you, you lousy felon, a guard tells our hero. Chrono opens the bag to find some rations and a note. He opens the note to read it. There is nothing more than a paw print. After the first day, our hero decides to rattle the door of the prison cell. Pipe down, a guard yells at him. Our hero fails to comply. Instead, he rattles the door again. Pipe down, the guard yells at him again. Our hero considers rattling the door a third time, but ultimately he just returns to his bed. Our hero spends the next day staring out of a tiny slit of a window. Far in the distance, he watches what he thinks is the rooftop of his house. After three days, a higher-ranking officer makes his way down the hallway. We're here to take you to your place of execution. Come along, he says. Our hero, malnourished, shackled, and stripped of his sword, has no option but to comply with the guards. They march our hero into a dark, musty, rotten-smelling room. We've sharpened up the guillotine, the officer informs our hero, as he's being strapped into place. 
The officer leans down to look Chrono in the eyes. Any last words? He asks. Chrono just stares at the man. Our hero's look is one that the man can't quite interpret. Come on now, say something, the man commands. Our hero says nothing. Getting frustrated, the man gags Chrono's mouth with a towel. Suit yourself, he says. The officer walks away. He nods at one of his men. That man then puts on some gloves and he approaches our hero. He lifts his arm up and grabs a rope. With a little tug, the blade would come slicing downward through Chrono's neck. Our hero now closes his eyes. He thinks sympathetically of Marley, who he knows will blame herself. He thinks fondly of Luca, who has effectively been his only friend all his life. And then his heart is filled with sadness. While he doesn't actually say the words, he thinks to himself, Mother, I'm so sorry. The guard grips the rope tightly. He prepares to pull. And then with that, a head falls lifelessly to the ground. Our hero opens his eyes to see a guard lying on the ground before him. A tranquilizer dart protrudes from the guard's neck. Two more guards fall to the ground before our hero, who then looks up to see Luca has locked arms with the officer. The officer is able to shake the gun out of her hand, and he then punches Luca square across the face. Luca takes a split moment to shake that off, and then she kicks the man hard in the stomach. Having the wind knocked out of him, the man hurls over. Not letting up, Luca then punches the man across the face. Twice. Then again with her other fist. And then once more with the original fist. She then yanks a spare tranquilizer from her belt, jabs it into his shoulder, and shoves him over onto the ground with her foot. She picks up her gun, then leans down to Chrono. So, what do you think of my Zonker 38? she asks. The look on his face shows his gratitude far more than words ever could. Let's blow this joint, Lucas says. She motions toward the bag lying at the entrance, where Chrono finds his sword and personal effects. He grabs that, then they're off. As they make their way out of the prison, Luca uses her Zonka 38 to subdue any guards that try to prevent them from escaping. However, as they are crossing a long bridge connecting two tall towers, they find themselves in the path of a foe that, unfortunately for them, cannot be zonked. From a distance, they hear the sound of wheels churning and pistons moving. What was that? Luca asks. As they continue across the bridge, it becomes apparent what it was. A massive tank takes up the entire bridge this tank, it's worth mentioning, is in the shape of a dragon. Crush those rebels, we hear the Chancellor yelling from a safe distance. 
The eyes of the tank glow brightly as it scans the surroundings and locks onto our heroes. It watches as Luca loads her gun with real bullets, takes aim, and shoots straight into its face. The dragon doesn't feel a thing as the bullet ricochets off its armor. It simply smiles, tilts its head toward Luca, and then releases a missile from its mouth. As the missile swerves through the air, our hero notices it is tracking Luca. He runs over and tackles her. The missile changes its target as Kronos shields his best friend from the shrapnel falling upon them. The dragon lets out a fierce roar, and a wall of fire begins to shoot toward our heroes. Krono pulls Luca to the edge of the bridge, where they take cover behind a pillar as flames go sweeping past them. It's head! Luca screams above the noise. I know it's a robot, but its head seems to be the important part, just as if it were alive. The dragon scans the smoldering concrete for its enemies. Were they destroyed? Was the mission complete? Its wheels begin to rattle as it moves its way through the smoke. It looks to the left, but it doesn't see anything that's organic. Calculations are made, formulas are solved for X, and our dragon decides to move forward. It looks to the right. Once again, there's nothing that's organic. More calculations are made, more formulas are solved for X, and once again, our dragon decides to move forward. It looks to the left. Yet again, it doesn't see anything that's organic. However, a sensor near the top of its neck has detected movement, and more sensors are confirming the reports from the first. A quick scan is made, and the dots reveal what a human would describe as a spiky-haired kid with a samurai sword raised high above his head. Calculations are attempted. Formulations strive to be solved, but X is nowhere to be found, and nothing seems to compute. So instead, its sensors lock onto a brown-haired girl, and it attempts to release five rockets in her direction, four of which malfunction and explode within the body of the dragon itself. As the dust settles, Luca opens her eyes to see a seemingly endless amount of space between her feet and the ground. She looks up to see her friend Chrono. She would smile at him, but she can tell he is grimacing. And shortly thereafter, she realizes he is holding her by the arm while the rest of her body is dangling from the edge of the bridge. Our hero pulls Luca up to safety. The two sprint into the tower as the bridge starts to collapse behind them. Our heroes then find themselves in the company of two guards, each of which are terrified by what they have just witnessed. They hold up their swords in a seemingly intimidating way, but our heroes aren't intimidated. Luca raises her gun, and they both immediately drop their swords. Luca, who finds one of the guards to be particularly cute, gives him a couple pats on the cheek 
before our heroes jet out of there. Down a few hallways and through a few corridors, our heroes find themselves at the main entrance to the castle. They're escaping, a guard yells out. Dozens more all notice our heroes. We have no choice but to break through, Lucas says. The two attempt to run through the guards, and they are successful. But then they notice another dozen or so guards coming from the other direction. They're surrounded, and there's simply no escape. Stop this at once, we hear Marley yell. The guards all drop to their knees. Princess Nadia, one of them speaks up. This is my friend, she says. Show him your respect. Luca and Chrono slowly sidestep their way toward the door, but then the Chancellor bursts into the room. Hold it right there, he says. Do as King Guardia commands. The Chancellor then steps aside, making room for the King himself. Father, Marley calls out. Silence, he replies. The throne comes before your personal wishes. Just because I have a title doesn't mean I'm not a person, she cries. You pick up strange ideas venturing outside, he tells her. I didn't pick up anything. It's called common sense, she exclaims. Princess Nadia, the king begins. My name is Marley, she screams. Two syllables. You can't even say it, can you? He's my friend, but you wouldn't even know what that means because you're too busy being the king to remember that you're also my father. The king of Guardia would allow the courts to murder one of them for the kingdom's entertainment? That's nothing more than a distraction from the real politics happening behind closed doors? Yet I'm the one who finds this strange? Tears pour down Marley's face as she finally brings herself to say what she has long suspected. I... I despise you. I'm leaving. Come on, Chrono. The three run out of the castle, leaving a very silent and somewhat awkward-feeling crowd behind them. Everyone looks toward the king, but he doesn't say anything. Finally, the chancellor speaks up. Don't just stand there. After them, he screams. The guards all take off in pursuit. Running through the forest in an attempt to escape, our heroes find themselves at the end of a path that seems to lead nowhere. Looks like a dead end, Marley says. This would be a dead end to most people, but to Luca, this is a portal to a different time and space, literally. A gate, she exclaims. Chrono and Marley look to see another portal, just like the one from the fair. Come on, Marley yells. But we don't know where it'll take us, Luca replies. Who cares? This place stinks anyway. Marley notices the guards and Chancellor making their way toward them. Princess Nadia, the Chancellor screams out. Move away from that hoodlum. This is completely irrational, Luca says though it's evident she's not entirely opposed to the idea. She looks to our hero, Chrono, to decide what to do. Hurry, Chrono, Marley exclaims. 
With the guards quickly approaching, Chrono grabs each of his girlfriends, or each of his friends, which are also girls, by the hands, and he leaps into the gate. The Chancellor's mouth drops to the ground. The portal drops our heroes onto the concrete floor of a strange room. They look around at industrial architecture, far more sophisticated than anything they've ever seen before. Well, there's no way the Chancellor can reach us here, Marley says. But where are we? Luca looks at a strange crest that's surrounded by holographs. The civilization here seems so advanced, she says. Like we're in another world, Marley replies. Meanwhile, Krona walks over to a window. Marley and Luca join him. There's a button to open the steel shutters, and our hero presses it. Their eyes all open wide. The world outside is in ruins. They are surrounded by collapsed buildings and thick dark clouds are blocking nearly all sunlight. Is that snow falling from the sky? Marley asks. Or ashes? They all try to wrap their heads around exactly what they're seeing. And that's where we will leave them. What lies beyond the ruins for our heroes? Is this apocalypse really their world's future? Also, wouldn't Luca be flattered to know that the guard she was flirting with stole a wanted picture of her for his room? Join us next time on Chrono Trigger, The Story.